This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021, as of the recording of this show. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Mr. Paulson himself, Jacob. Hi. <laughs> What's going on? Not much. I, I spent a, a large amount of my time today listening to an interview you did on a different podcast. <laughs> and you were such a great representative of our brand. It was great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm yeah, glad. you were like pimping all of our our cool tools and our app and our product was i was listening like good job riley make us that money (laughs) well you know they they made it easy uh you know uh, those guys over at the casual shooters podcast uh so folks if you want to go check that out feel free um they uh you know dave and, and the guys over there i mean dave especially he really well researched us and me and had a bunch of things lined up to ask me about so yep 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 yeah fairly long interview almost two hours but uh hey that's two hours that I, that we were able to talk about our business yes <laughs> yeah stuff. it was great that was good good stuff <laughs> guy like me was very thrilled but here we are in the concealed carry podcast and today's episode we're going to talk about how 50 percent of the u.s is unregulated in this one area or in this one thing and it's uh I, I think it'll be an interesting topic of discussion today. There's been some, actually quite a bit of change in this area of the law for several states this year, in fact. So uh, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit deeper and let you know what the, you know what, what it is that I'm burying in the lead here. But today's episode is brought to you by the Guardian University. Basically, brand new released uh, or re-released or updated or improved version <laughs> of our online video training library. Uh, Jacob, how, how would you want to, you know, how would you want to, I guess, introduce this to the podcast listeners? Let's hear from you. Yeah. Yep. So let me just give you the pitch as if you know nothing about what we've done in the past. And then I'll clarify for those of you who maybe have been with our business for a while. So Guardian University is a collection of online video training organized into a specific curriculum that consists of specific classes or courses. So everyone starts out at Guardian rank level zero. And as you complete specific of those courses, you advance in rank to Guardian level one, two, three, and so on. Now those courses uh, are, are all video-based and they you know, vary in length. Uh, you know, One of them is as long as eight and a half hours, uh, but they're certainly as short as about an hour, hour and a half. So the you know first kind of Guardian level zero uh, consists of like a gun safety, a course that you have to take, a shooting fundamentals course, which is new. We're going to talk more about that one in a moment, as well as our concealed carry fundamentals course. And so when you complete all three of those courses, you rank advance to guardian level one. And then, of course, there's more to do from there to continue to rank up. And and we're adding to the curriculum and adding more courses all the time uh, as, as we go. Uh, now, the many of these courses, we have a large number of these online video courses, and we've had them, some of them, for many, many years. But previously, they were only sold ind- independently. So a person just go and buy one uh, as they desire to take that one particular course. And now they've been kind of organized into this curriculum. You, you don't have to go through them in order. You still can you know, 
purchase whichever one you want and bounce around, uh, but that we've kind of crafted it in such a way that we think is most natural and, and effective for a person to consume these courses. And of note, the entire library, the entire Guardian University curriculum is free and no cost to, to active members of Guardian Nation. So if you want to get access to Guardian University, you can buy courses one-off as you desire, the ones that look interesting to you, and potentially you could consume those in the order we've recommended based on the curriculum of the university. Or if you're a member of Guardian Nation, you have free reign of it all, and there's no reason why you wouldn't go through it in order as we've recommended. Yeah. Super excited for this uh, new and improved Guardian University uh, concept. Uh, tons of great content and more content planned uh, in the near future. In fact, we'll probably get started filming some of it next week, even uh, the next uh, uh, video in the series, if you will. So, guys, check it out. The The link, by the way, uh, particularly if you're just listening to the audio only, uh, the easy way to get there is you can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash university all right so concealedcarry.com forward slash university you can check things out there and sign up for guardian nation or just purchase things on a a la carte basis if you want also today's episode brought to you by our newly released shooting fundamentals training uh, video course online course uh just finished this one filming it last week in fact and uh got the editing all done and it's all published and live uh, as of today. So super excited about that project, something that we've worked on for a while. Uh, and uh, yours truly filming, you know, on camera for a lot of that. And I guess all of it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, sharing the and teaching the shooting fundamentals as as I see it, you know, now. And, and in a way that I hope is helpful to uh, many of you out there learning or wanting to learn how to get to the next level as shooters. So uh, check out the new Shooting Fundamentals course. Again, that is part of the Guardian University catalog. Um, and it is available directly if you want to go right to the course itself, concealedcarry.com forward slash SF for Shooting Fundamentals. Concealedcarry.com forward slash SF. Sierra Foxtrot. I just finished the, that course today. I just you know, watched all those videos. And I think that don't let the name fool, fool you. I think there's a tendency to think that because it says fundamentals that this is for a newbie. And that's not the case. The shooting fundamentals are called the fundamentals because all skills-based shooting is you know rests on top of being able to do these things at a masterful level. So the course is designed to teach you the fundamental shooting skills to the degree that a master would 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 run those skills would would act. And so anyway, it's good stuff. Well, that's our sponsors today. Now, before we uh, get into our content, I actually did want to share. A bit of feedback that I just received today, Jacob, from a listener, and it, it just came in and was timely. And I, it's been a while since we shared like a review of the podcast or or whatever, and, and so I thought, you know, I'd, I'd like to share this one because I want to recognize this person. Now I'm not going to give their name or anything, but I assume that they will listen and or are listening, and they'll know who they are. But uh, he messaged me through Instagram and said, "Hey Riley, I just wanted to thank you, Jacob, and Matt for the podcast." It has had a huge impact on me since I became interested in concealed carry about four years ago. I'm immense. By the way, that means he's been with us for a while. So that's awesome. Thank you, brother. I am immensely proud that we both embarked on the USPSA journey, and I am grateful for how much valuable information you have brought to the podcast and other listeners from your experience in the sport. 
It's been a tremendous journey to share, even though we do not know one another. I am a substantially more capable defender due to your work. Thank you. Uh, again, you, you should know who you are. And uh, that, that that means so much to me to hear. I mean, we've received similar messages through the years uh, from listeners from across the country. And it uh, always humbles me uh, to hear how we've influenced for the better uh, concealed carriers in their journey. So uh, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. And uh, folks, if you know, you're always welcome to message us, contact us with any kind of feedback or questions or whatnot. Uh, or uh, review the podcast on the uh, like on Apple iTunes or or that sort of thing. Uh, but you can contact us directly by using the email address podcast at concealedcarry.com. So anyway, just thought that was a cool message. Let's get now to today's topic. This is going to be based around an article, Jacob, that you published uh, a couple weeks ago called Half of America Allows Concealed Carry Without Any Training. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, you know, we've touched on this type of thing in the past. I, mean, I remember at one point we did a whole episode where we talked about whether or not training should be required for, uh, you know, carrying a gun, essentially. Um, we, and we've certainly have talked through the years uh, at various different times about the idea of constitutional carry or permitless carry, uh, particularly as other states and more states have added that to their statutes or their law books. Uh, And and particularly this year, I think there's been what four states that have become what we, what we would call constitutional carry states now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So we, our first time touching on this topic was episode 50, which was back in 2016. And, And I was, I went back and I was listening to it. And in that episode, we say something like there are now 10 states with permitless carry. And I was like, Oh snap. Like, so, you know, in the time we've been recording this podcast, which granted is several years, we've gone from 10 states that have constitutional carry laws to 20. You know, on January 1st of this year, there were 16, and we've added four more this year, and probably we'll add a fifth. So right now we have 20 states in this country that are constitutional carry, and then we get the the number half of America because there's an additional five states, which while they do not have constitutional, permitless carry, whatever you, whichever term you prefer, they do not require any training to obtain their permit. So that makes our total 25 states that either don't require a permit to carry or don't require any training to get the permit. So regardless, no training required to carry concealed. Yeah. So, and that's, that is the premise of today's topic. Um, I mean, what, what an interesting time we're in. It wasn't that many years ago. I mean, if we were to go back even 10 years, but certainly like 20 years ago, uh, that there weren't even that many states that had even shall issue permits for concealed carry. And there were plenty of states that the majority of states that probably didn't even really have a provision for concealed carry. I think like Ohio, for instance, which was one of the earlier adopters uh, to, you know, some sort of permit for concealed carry was like 2003 and Indiana was just a little like what, 2001 or 99 or thereabouts. Yeah, Florida was in there too. Yeah. Yeah. the, The trend has almost gone from like unregulated to regulated to less regulated. Yeah. Uh, well, when you say unregulated, gone from unregulated to regulated, what do you mean by that? So, so if you go back before the concealed carry permit stuff, uh, a lot of these states didn't have any laws at all about carrying around a gun. So, sure. you know, you, you really had a situation where it was just unregulated 
You know, there was just no need. It was, you know, Vermont style, frankly, uh, for, for a very long time. And then slowly states, to, you know, if we could even go back to like the 30s, when you have, you know, major prohibition, gangster wars, Chicago, um, you know, that, that's where states start saying, wait a minute, we need to regulate this gun thing. So a lot of that turns into no guns or various ver- versions of gun laws. Uh, you know, 1934, of course, we have the uh, National Firearm Act. And then you, you start to see the states, to your point, this is kind of where you, you picked up the story. They start to you know, regulate it, but allow for some form of concealed carry. Oh, we're going to allow open carry. Or we're going to allow you know, this idea of getting a permit in order to carry concealed. And so you kind of have that phase. And now all, all 50 states have some sort of permitting program, though some of them are, are questionable at best uh, due to the nature of how difficult it is to obtain the permit. But all 50 mm-hmm. states have some sort of permit program. And now we're seeing, you know, like I said, in the last five, six, seven years, kind of a, a further, you know, almost return to back to the to world of unregulated. But it's like a regulated unregulated. It's like we're, we're st- that, you know, passing laws that say, forget it. You don't need a permit anymore. If you're an adult and you can own a gun, you can carry it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I mean, if it, again, it, it's going to vary quite a bit from state to state as far as history goes. There's certainly uh, a good number of states that, where just carrying a gun period was outlawed for a long time. And certainly concealed carry, there was certainly a time too, when open carry was more permissible than concealed carry. In fact, in the 1800s, many jurisdictions were, and, and the attitude was that concealed carry was what the criminals would do. And if you were a law abiding person, you would carry it openly on your hip. Uh, you know, and there was, there's even, you know, a good number of laws and even court cases that dealt with the idea of concealed carry of a weapon, back in the 1800s um anyway yeah to your point here we've uh we've kind of come full full circle in a way where now we are getting back closer to our roots and people use the term constitutional carry quite a bit to describe the idea of not requiring a permit not requiring a form not requiring an application or even training to carry a gun or and especially carry concealed, mm. and that is uh, that's pretty cool to see, right? Uh, and I think the idea the, the the reason why we call it constitutional carry is that the idea is that hey, shall not be infringed means therefore the government's not getting in my business of regulating me or telling me when uh, t- telling me that I can or cannot carry a gun, especially concealed on my person uh, when I'm out and about doing my doing my thing. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly it doesn't mean that, uh, it, it doesn't mean that we have free license to carry our gun wherever we want, whenever we want in all circumstances. Uh, although certainly I think that would be pretty cool to see, but, uh, you know, certainly seems like it'll be the norm for probably forever <laughs> that uh, there's always, you know, we're going to see things like federal buildings are off limits still, even state or local government buildings will be off limits uh, or certain types of properties. And, and that kind of thing would be off limits for carrying of a gun. Uh, but uh, the idea though, of at least not having to go into some County office or state office or someplace to fill out an application to get a permit that says you may now carry a gun uh, concealed or otherwise and or certifying you that you receive certain levels of training pursuant to that. Um, it's, I think it's pretty cool to see it go away, but it does raise some questions about, you know, what, what is the future of concealed carry? Uh, both I think in terms of 
does this conti- does this trend continue? Do you think? And then also, what does it look like for for the actual gun carriers for for each of us as individuals going forward? Um, because you know, whereas the state might regulate concealed carry and permits and require you to obtain a cert or to attend a certain training course before you can apply. Now we flip that around and say, no training course that you have to attend, but what responsibilities do we have as gun owners and concealed carriers? Yeah. And I think, I think the balance of our conversation today is going to focus on that, right? The, the harm and potential, you know, the potential good, and the potential harm of this idea of not requiring training. But if you'll permit me, Riley, I want to get out of the way, just you know, yep. listing off what these states are and a couple of clarifying points to yeah. you know, cover our butts here. So so I said 20 states currently that have, have permitless carry or constitutional carry, whichever term you prefer. Those states are as follows. And I, I, I use, in my head, I think of maps. So this will basically move west to east. But those, those states are Alaska, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, West Virginia, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Did you get now, Alabama and Georgia? Alabama and Georgia are not constitutional carry. Oh, sorry. They're, yeah, no training yep. required. So then right. these are the five states I said that are above and beyond those 20. These are five states that do still require permit, but don't require any training. And those would be Washington, Alabama, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and hmm, I'm missing one. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do, 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 Why would do, I not do, have this top of my head? Do, 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 oh, Indiana. Do, do, do. I said I, I mislabeled Indiana. I ah. said Indiana was constitutional carry. That's not true. Indiana is yeah. one of the five that does still require a permit, but doesn't require any training to obtain it. Gotcha. So those, those are the states. And then the other two things I wanted to clarify just so we don't get in trouble. Uh, if we've just named a state and said, oh, this is permitless carry, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Now I can go carry there. Um, they're, they're generally, most of these states do allow constitutional permitless carry in their state for both residents and non-residents, but some of them, and we're not going to get into that, that list, that division today, but a, a handful of those uh, only permit permitless carry by a resident. So a visitor, <laughs> you who may not be from that state, you might go there and it might not apply. And the other thing that I think is worth disclaiming is that these 20 states that have permitless carry, uh, I think with the exception of Vermont, the other 19, there are restrictions on someone some some degree of restrictions on someone who doesn't have a permit. So there's still incentives to get a permit, even within that state, uh, to some degree. So anyway, that's just worth worth noting. Yeah. Uh, most of those states that have become, particular, particularly in recent history, con- uh, constitutional carry or permitless uh, carry states uh, still have permits available uh, for their residents to obtain. All of them, and, with the exception of Vermont. Yeah. 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 And so I wanted to make that distinction as well, that if you're in any one of those states uh, that Jacob listed off and you listed them off very quickly. So some of you may have had to dial down your uh, podcast player to like half speed and gone back and listened to it a time or two. But uh, uh, but if you're in any of those states, and we'll talk some more about this, uh, maybe we segue there now. I don't know. But uh but it's it may be advantageous for you to still conti- consider getting your state's permit, um, as well as potentially other non-resident state permits. Uh, and if you are in Vermont, uh, it certainly would be, I think, advantageous for you to consider getting a 
non-resident permit from another state, like Utah, for instance, uh, because uh, reciprocity. So like in Vermont, you don't have to have a permit. Like, cool, great, whoopee. Uh, But you step across the border and now what? Like, yeah. Yeah, so well, if you cross if you step across the border to Maine or, or New Hampshire, you're so good to go. Well, but yeah, true. but but generally speaking, that's that's a fair point. So reciprocity <laughs> is the obvious advan- advantage that we generally refer to when we think about obtaining a permit despite not needing one in a constitutional carry state. But there's other ones, uh, and they just vary by state. For example, the state might say, Oh, well, if you have a permit, you're allowed to go into these public buildings, but our permitless carry people cannot. Or school zones might be another mm-hmm. one, right? We have the uh, gun contr- the gun-free school zone act, which is a federal law uh, that says mm-hmm. you're not allowed to have a gun within a you know, within a thousand feet of the school unless otherwise permitted. And so the state might say, well, if you get a permit, then we qualify you as permitted and therefore you can, but you constitutional carry folk who don't have a permit, you still have to avoid school zones. And there could be a number of things and it's going to vary by states. So we're not going to get into that. But the point is there's generally a, a, a good number of reasons that despite being in a permitless carry state, you might choose to obtain a permit, but, but we certainly support, you know, the, the effort and the, the right to be able to carry a concealed firearm without a permit. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, one other quick thing I just wanted to clarify in case we get in trouble, because the name of this episode is half. So half, we're referring to the number of states, 25 states that don't require any sort of training to carry a concealed gun. But those 25 states currently represent about 30, 29.78% of the U.S. population. So you could call it half of the states, or you could call it about 30% of the population. But Texas is likely to pass constitutional carry before this year is out. And if it does, that'll make our 26th state and it'll bump the, the, the population percentage pretty significantly. I think from 30% up to like 37% or something like that. So anyway, yeah. that's uh, all my disclaimers I wanted to get covered. You know, I just recently uh, renewed my Utah non-resident permit and, and received it just a few days ago. And to your point, you were talking about some of the you know reasons why uh, or, or how some of the states... Uh, regulate different levels, if you will, of concealed carriers, as far as like those that aren't permitted and those that are permitted. You also have states that have like, like Idaho, for instance, has permitless, you know, a permitless carry option, a basic level, you know, permit essentially, and then an enhanced permit. And all three of those, I mean, really between the basic and enhanced, the difference is greater reciprocity in a greater number of states, but also you got to go through additional uh, you know, hours of training in the enhanced uh, uh, class to get the enhanced permit. But uh, then you got permitless carry again. That is an option, but you're going to be limited in some ways. Um, I appreciate that th- that uh, when I got the letter from the state of Utah together with my renewed permit, that they clarified a few things. And I think this is pretty cool um, because people don't, I think, sometimes realize that a permit doesn't really mean that much. It, it doesn't grant you some like special power all of a sudden. Um, but it said that uh, you should be aware of the following. A concealed carry permit only exempts you from, and it lists specific codes. And these deal with carrying a concealed firearm. Oh, my phone just switched on me. Carrying a loaded firearm in a vehicle or on the street. And possession of a dangerous weapon on or about school premises, which you just touched on a little bit. And, and, and then it goes into a couple other things that it mentions as well that, you know, but it just clarifies like it doesn't like this permit doesn't do a whole lot other than exempts you from like these three state statutes, at least in, in the state of Utah. And uh, again, one of those that is, I think, really important. I deal with it on a regular basis that technically, like you said, according to federal law, you can't go within a thousand feet of a school 
on public property, so on a street or sidewalk or something, on a public right of way, you can't go within a thousand feet of a school if you don't have a, a permit issued, you know, that that legally grants you the exemption to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty huge. Like this morning, I dropped my kids off at school. I stay in my vehicle. I go right into the school pullout lane thing and all right, have a great day. And I'm carrying the whole time. But that would not be legal for me if I did not have a permit to do so. Correct. We're, we're about to, I think we're kind of hitting a, a yeah. transition moment in the podcast. And so I want to just say that we're about to embark on a conversation where we might get some hate mail here because there is a, a, a percentage of the concealed carry community. Some of you probably listening to this right now or watching this uh, online that feel strongly that training should be required. And Riley and I are about to embark on a conversation where we're going to tell you why we feel training should not be required by the law, by the government, mm-hmm. uh, why yeah. it shouldn't be mandated. And, and I'm recognizing that while our position is, in my opinion, a majority position, and that's quite evident based on all these laws that are being passed in states, it's still not a unanimous decision in the gun community. So if you are someone who, who d- disagrees with us, if right now at this point in listening to this episode, you feel that we're wrong and training should definitely be mandated by the government, I'd encourage you to hold, hold on, uh, stick with us, listen to this entire episode. And if you still disagree with us at the end, that's fine. You know, everyone's, <laughs> we don't think that we're, you know, omniscient and we know everything. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that you'll find that we have some some strong and valid reasons why it's dangerous even for the government to mandate training. Yeah. I Yes. Agreed. You know, uh, and, and we're seeing some comments coming in already from a few listeners. I think we have listeners on both sides of this. Some that are saying, I absolutely believe that you should have training to be able to carry a gun or carry concealed. Um, others that are saying that, yeah, we, we shouldn't have to have training to do that, to ex- exercise a second amendment. Right. Um, to be clear, our stance, Jacob and I personally, and as a company, as a podcast, and we've been consistent on this for since the beginning, okay, is that it is unconstitutional for the government to require training to carry a gun. Yep. It is unconstitutional. Uh, that's our personal, that's our opinion. Now, granted, it, that it, we know that there's training required in a number of states. Uh, and so what we're saying is that's unconstitutional. You know, it doesn't mean that the court system or whatever has caught up with this line of thinking. But that's, that's our, our personal opinion and interpretation of, of, of the, the Second Amendment. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, me and Riley do feel training is important and valuable yes. and good. We certainly don't think that people shouldn't obtain training. Our, our specific issue here is with government mandated training. So to be clear, we we encourage all to obtain as much training as possible as a, as part of a lifelong journey of gun ownership. And I think that's 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 absolutely critical, like without question. Uh, and we're in the business of selling said training. However, our issues with government mandated training and and I think it starts with a certain amount of hypocrisy. Uh Riley, like to me I <laughs> I I don't understand how a person can claim to be a supporter of the Second Amendment and believe both of the following two statements. First, that a person should not have to petition the government 
or take a class in order to own a gun and use it in their own defense generally, like say in their home, for example, and also believe that that same person should have to pay the government and pass some arbitrary amount of training in order to use that same gun in defense from beneath clothing and or while in public. Like to, to me, it's mm-hmm. like what what changes so magically in one's mind from a person having it visible while they walk down the street or using it in their home, that's okay. But we think that the government should mandate training before they can cover it up with a shirt or use it outside of the home. To me, it's, to me, it's it's just it's just hypocrisy at the deepest yeah. level. Inconsistent, incongruent. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, no, you can't. You can't have both those beliefs. Yeah. They, they they don't mix. Yep. Yeah, uh, absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah. So so. Let me touch on something real quick because you we started going down this road and, and you, as you mentioned, we're going to get into where we talk about specifically we're talking about six reasons why training should not be required. Um, I'm going to to kind of help segue into that some more. I'm going to bring up Carl Wren's book, Strategies and Standards for Defensive Handgun Training, hmm. which is a great book. I, if you're an instructor, I think you should read it. I think you should have a copy and go through it. Um, and Carl... Well, and, and John Dobb, who's also a co-author on this, they, they go through this and as they explain, so their, their perspective is they've been instructors and have been teaching students in Texas for many, many years. And Texas has a certain uh, mandated curriculum and a certain qualifying course of fire you have to fight that you have to shoot in front of the instructor and pass to then be able to apply for your Texas uh, a license to carry, as it's called, the LTC. And basically, they demonstrate in the book just how low of a standard that training is in Texas. And in fact, there's a video out there. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's out there where I think it's John Johnston from Ballistic Radio, together with, uh, I think, Carl Wren himself. Um, they demonstrate like John demonstrates passing the uh, uh, the Texas shooting course, the, the qualifying course of fire to, to obtain a permit. John Johnson passes it blindfolded. <laughs> That's how ridiculous that and overly simple that course of fire is. And so that, and that, and actually that is the first thing that takes us into the first reason why we think tra- training should not be required because when you say training must be required for whatever permit or thing, then you have to draw a line somewhere. You have to say, well, we feel that this level of training is adequate to, you know, that passes you versus below that does not. And that line, wherever that qualifying line is, is very arbitrary. Extremely and arbitrary. From state to state varies widely, um, but I'm not aware really of any state uh, qualification, you know, as far as like a course of fire that's all that impressive or difficult. No. Now, now, I'm not saying it should be difficult, right? Um, but just recognizing the fact that just because you say, well, so-and-so went through whatever XYZ training course thing and passed the qualification does not equate that they're actually competent with a gun, you know, especially in a, in a stressful situation. And and so we have to, we have to pick a line and that line is 
no matter what you do is going to be arbitrary to some extent because not only that it's difficult to actually de- define what would be considered competency with a firearm and the fact of the matter is the government screws up a lot of stuff that they get their hands in and this is one area i haven't seen any government mandated training that i would feel really warm and fuzzy about yeah, just to kind of paint the picture, because everyone knows what they know, right, for their for their own state. We, we work with 26 instructors in like 26 states. Yeah. Um, we, we get around a lot, right, just by nature of our business that we're in. So, you know, think of a place like uh, Colorado, Virginia, uh, Oregon, Iowa, where the training in those four states to obtain a permit is any training that covers gun safety. Yep. That's it. So it could be 20 minutes long. You could, you could come in here, sit next to me in my office, and I could be like, here are the four gun safety rules. Let's recite them together. And we could you know, read them out loud, and I could pat you on the back and say, congratulations, you passed. And that would meet the requirements in Colorado, Virginia, Iowa, and Oregon, as I understand them. That's you know, Contrast that with uh, probably Illinois is the most uh, easy one to point at that's got pretty significant high, you know, what, what relatively high standards, uh, where you have 16 hours of mandated training. Eight of that in a classroom and, and then eight more on a gun range. New Mexico is not that much different. New Mexico is 15 hours. New Mexico is also the only state that I'm aware of that requires a refresher training. Uh, on, not, not just every time you renew, but even in, in you know between renewals uh, every couple of years. So, you know, and, and then everything in the middle, right? So those are kind of two far extremes and everything you can imagine is in the middle. A lot of states kind of have an eight hour kind of full day NRA basic, basic pistol-esque kind of class. You mentioned Texas. It's a little shy of that, but it's pretty comparable. Most of our most of the California counties that will issue a permit, most of them have requirements in the eight hour range. Kentucky is eight hours. Uh, that's that. You know, Louisiana is, is eight hours. So that's that's a pretty you know that, that's probably like our median, our average. Right. But regardless of you know to, to your point, Riley, I'll just agree now that I've kind of given that context, to everybody that it's arbitrary. Who who's who's going to make the decision about how much training is enough? Today we got a bunch of states who are all clearly can't agree on it. It's all over the map. And and more importantly, none of them really qualify anybody. Yep. Yeah. It, it uh, and, and so here's one of the problems with that. When you create an arbitrary level of training, oh, I guess this is going to go into one of the other points. Well, maybe that makes sense to do at this point. Um, when you say, if you meet this training standard, you are qualified to carry a gun, then it creates a false sense of qualification. It, it creates a false sense. And I think Johnny or Carl even touches on this in his book to some degree as well, that that people then go, well, I've met the state standard. There's nothing more for me to do. I'm qualified per the state. So I have this piece of paper, this document that says I can carry and I have passed the state standard. and and therefore, that leads to a place where they feel like they are actually better than they really are. It actually in it, it, it exacerbates Dunning Kruger, mm-hmm. right? Where the, the idea that you don't know what you don't know, okay? And so it's it's like if you've ever seen that, you know, people will post the image sometimes. It's like a chart, and you're like on this little this little precipice where 
this is where most people are right this moment that they think they're really awesome at something or they're really knowledgeable about something, but they're about to crash into the valley of despair. And that is the, that's the valley of humility that you fall into when you, when you wake up one day and go, I thought I was better than this. And I actually really suck. Um, but the reality, but the problem is, is you exact, you, you, you exacerbate that, that Dunning Kruger effect when you have an arbitrary training standard that's easy to meet for just about anybody and they walk away going, oh, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. I'm I've ready achieved, to carry a gun. Yeah, I've, I've passed the qualification that my state that mandates, you know, that I must achieve, that I must, you know, meet in order to qualify. Therefore I am qualified. That's dangerous. You know, and as a community at large, yeah. firearm instructors constantly whine and complain about how students just don't come back for more training, that they, they just take the required mandated whatever class and they walk away. Well, the, the government mandated training causes that environment. You know, the, the, if the government mandates you take a certain class and nothing more, mm-hmm. then that's going to drive that exact behavior. What we see in places where you eliminate that government mandate, that government requirement, is that people just proactively choose to take training and they don't see it as the end of a journey. They see it as the beginning of a journey because there's no government mandate to do anything. There's no specific qualification standard that makes them feel that they've arrived. No, there's no doubt that you'll have a, a good number of people that won't take any training at all when there's nothing mandated. Sure. Um, but those are not the people that you'd want to have as customers anyway. You want the customers that are already self-motivated to, to train and to better themselves. Like that's who you want as students. If you're a firearms instructor, because they're already motivated enough that regardless of a state mandated uh, uh, training requirement or not, they're going to show up to your class and they're going to come back for more because they've taken upon themselves that personal uh, 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 obligation or responsibility that they, for themselves, like they feel a need to better themselves to improve, to, you know, uh, to, to get to the next level, if you will. And, uh, that, that I think is, is really key. Now, part of it is, you know, like part of the the question here or the discussion is, well, how can we inspire more people to, to get into, you know, to basically kind of crack that door open and enter into the path of enlightenment, if you will, of this, you know, training and bettering yourself. Um, and, and that is, uh, that is not something I believe that you can inspire through laws and mandates, um, but it's something that has to be influenced on a more individual level, on a cultural level, even uh, mm-hmm. on a community level, uh, in, in our interactions with people, in our conversations, in our relationships. Uh, and you know what? I see positive signs in this uh, industry all the time uh, because of positive influences from, from people that are doing wonderful work to put themselves out there and have conversations with people and uh, inspire them to, to do more and to do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We make that change by, by making training less expensive, more convenient and making it the societal norm. Yeah. That, that's how we do it. But having some sort of mandated government training has a counterproductive effect. It does the opposite of what we're trying to do. It reduces the likelihood of somebody seeking more training and creates a false sense of qualification. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. 
So, so far we've touched on two reasons why training should not be required. Uh, one, which was how much training is, is an arbitrary thing. So that's kind of pointless. Okay. And again, let's be clear on the state's level, you know, like the state level, like their, their thinking is they have this arbitrary standard, not because that means you're ready for anything really other than it's sort of like a, a, a removal of liability from the state that we've established this standard because we believe that means this person's probably not going to make a major mistake. Like they're like, generally speaking, safety wise, they're probably okay, but it doesn't really, it rarely goes beyond that. All right. Um, when are you actually good enough for a deadly force encounter is a very interesting question to ask and one that I think we should address in a future episode of the podcast because I have some, I've, I've actually put a fair amount of thought into that in the last few months. Um, the other thing we covered about uh, uh, reasons why training should not be required is a false sense of qualification. So what's next, Jacob? It's a financial tax. Yeah. So when the Constitution guarantees a right, and in this case, me and Riley, we feel that the Constitution does guarantee your right to walk around with a handgun in a practical way, which effectively means concealed, for your own self-defense. So if that's a constitutional right, and me and Riley feel that it is and or should be, then we shouldn't tax people in order to exercise that right. So here in Colorado, for example, you know, it's going to cost you about $150 to apply for a permit. That's outside of the cost of training. If, if we had no training required at all, it would still cost you about 150 bucks to go apply for and obtain a permit. You know, in a state like uh, we mentioned, Indiana, Pennsylvania, or Georgia, or Washington, places where there's no training required, they still pay a tax in order to get that permit. So if you live in Arizona or Utah or Iowa or any of these constitutional slash permitless carry uh, states, then, then ponder on this for a minute. You, We want you to get training. And maybe you yeah. even know you need to get some training. But you don't have to. The government has not required you to spend any money to be able to defend yourself. And, and you can immediately begin to prepare to defend yourself as proactively as you can. Maybe you have some friends teach you some lessons at the gun range. Maybe you watch some videos online. Maybe you listen to this podcast. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing things that you can afford to do that don't have any cost, and you can legally walk around with that concealed gun. There's something very powerful about that. Compare that with a state like Illinois where, nope, sorry, you have to take a 16-hour class. And do you think that there's a 16-hour class being taught in Illinois for less than 100 bucks? There ain't. No instructor is doing that. Okay, And, mm -hmm. and, and probably the average is closer to 150 to 200 in the, in the Chicago metro. So you know, you're paying $100 just for the training. And then you still have to turn around and pay for the application, which, of course, is going to you know, include costs of background checks and fingerprints and all sorts of things. So it's it's pretty challenging. It becomes almost an elitist thing. You already have the cost of a gun and ammo and a gun safe and all these other ancillary things, eye and ear protection, right? And we're adding on the cost of taking a class and then giving the, the government more money. It's, it's a tax, and it becomes a burden on, on the very same people we're, we're trying to protect. 
the, yeah. the, the people who most need the gun and most need it to protect themselves, defend themselves, are people who are in poor economic circumstances and communities. And we're making it more difficult for them to do that. That's that's crazy to me. That's absolutely horrible. Yeah, that's true. Uh, because it, it disproportionately affects those from a lower economic standing. Um, you know, you could be well-to-do. You could be wealthy and not need a gun, not need to carry a gun because you could hire your own security team to do that for you. Right. Sure. But when you are, uh, poor, like it's on you, it's all on you. You don't have another option. You can't even count on the police. Okay. Cause number one, it's not their job to protect every single individual in their communities. I mean, like they're going to try. All right. They're going to try, believe me. But it's impossible for them to protect everybody. And uh, not only that, they're not even legally obligated to per the, per the Supreme Court. So it is on you to defend and protect yourself. I believe the right to defend oneself is a basic human right. Not, not even, I, I'm not saying constitutional right. I'm saying, I think the Constitution recognizes that, but is a basic human right that it is fundamental to us as the, the the fact that you exist as a human being means you have the right to continue to exist and thus you have the right to defend like to make it possible that you can continue to exist that in, that means defense so yeah um this is not like some people on the other side of the coin here would try to maybe argue, well, you have to, you know, pay uh, for registration and licensing and insurance and things like that to uh, have a car and to drive and stuff. But that's not even guaranteed in the Constitution. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about a basic human right, as simple as having food and shelter and water and whatever else, like you should have the right to be able to obtain all those things. And you have to have the right, therefore, to also defend y- your existence and your and that of your family. And the, the idea that we tax that is uh, is unacceptable, in my opinion. I'm, I'm just going to call out Utah really quickly. It's just an interesting note. Utah's statute is really very, very unique compared to the other 49 states. Yes. Or I should really say 48. In that in order to the, the, the state Bureau of Criminal Identification that issues permits in Utah, the law says that they can only charge an application fee that is actually the, the actual cost the state will incur in order to process the application. So you see Utah change their application fee quite often. It's kind of annoying, actually, because on a regular basis, the attorney general reevaluates the cost relative to staffing, materials, the cost that they have to pay to the FBI for the actual fingerprint uh, background check. And they, and they say, oh, okay, you know, based on the current costs, we can only charge X for the permit application. So at least in Utah, at least in Utah, it's, it's not a profitable venture. The state is is required to only charge the exact dollar amount that is actually necessary to process said application. So I appreciate that approach from Utah. I'd love to see more states do that. If if we're going to require, you know, the, the people have to get a permit, at least let's take the profit out of the equation. Yeah, yeah it, that's re- yeah, somewhat honorable, I guess you could say, because uh, certainly there are states where it is a revenue generating machine. 
Um, but even then, if if the costs to obtain a permit are, are strictly the cost of administering that program, it's still like a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. Mm, you know? it's absolutely. A, it's and like, it's still a tax. Yes, <laughs> it, it it absolutely is. Yep. <laughs> like th- those people that are employed by the state to process those applications only have a job because arbitrarily the state says you got to have a permit. That's right. That's okay. Right. Yeah, Christy here commenting on Facebook says that Michigan brought in $8.1 million last year, which I'm sure in the overall budget of a state, uh, in in an overall state's budget, that's that's pocket change, especially for a state like Michigan. Uh, but but that's still $8.1 million. So anyway. Yep, yep. Dean mentions that in Alabama. It pays a lot of state salaries and whatnot. <laughs> Dean says that in Alabama, it's only 10 bucks a year or $150 for a lifetime. So that's a state that's also saying, how cheap can we make this? And I think that's yeah. pretty, that's, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, that's fair. But that's uh, fair. whatever it costs, still a tax. It's, it's still a tax. And if training is required, then you have a marketplace where instructors are charging money. So there's a tax because someone has to take a class that someone has to teach and that person is not going to teach it for free. And then also the application fee. Yeah. Yep. So here's another reason why we feel like training should not be required. And uh, you write it pretty well in your article here that we are not cops, as it says. Uh, because the the idea here, the logic is, well, cops carry a gun and they're required to go through training. Therefore, that same standard, if you will, should be applied to civilian concealed carriers. But... At the same time, we're not employed by the state. It's not our job to go out there and put our lives on the lines. It's not our job to protect anybody else. In fact, I, again, we've talked about that many times that preferably you're, you're carrying a gun to protect number one, yourself and or your family and not necessarily other people, although you may, but it's not your job. And nobody's asking you to do that. Nobody's expecting you to do that. So you can't say that, well, cops are required training. So therefore we should require concealed carriers. That, that, that argument doesn't work. It doesn't hold water. Yeah. It, it's the job of the police officer to run toward the gunfire, to go into danger, to, and think, you know, that's what they're there for. I love them for it. Right. It, those who, who do a good job at doing that job, but that's not my job. My, I, I don't have the gun to run toward gunfire and protect complete random strangers. That's something I could opt to do maybe, but my, my objective is to protect me and my family. Uh, and th- the other, the other key, I think uh, to understand this is that police officers, their training is, is significantly oriented and, and designed around protecting the state from liability. Yep. Uh, protecting someone from being able to, to sue and say, Hey, you're liable because you did not provide the officer with enough training. And so they, they design their curriculum to that end. And that's not, that's just not a consideration that at all applies to a non law enforcement officer who's carrying around a gun. Yeah. And actually, boy, if we, if we had, we could include some police officers in this discussion and, and it would open up a whole can of worms talking about uh, what a state requires in terms of law enforcement training. And the reality is, is that it has less to do with, it has less to do with giving the officer what he needs and protecting that officer and more to do, like you said, with just protecting the state or the city or county from liability. Um, 
training for officers would improve dramatically if it actually took into account the officer's best interests. <laughs> yes. You know, and actually truly taking the attitude or approach of what can we give, you know, what do these officers need to be the best prepared that they can be? And again, it, 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 you know, and I, I recognize it's a challenge when you have a city, a county, a state, whatever, that has thousands or, I mean, if, if you look, most, most of the time you have statutes uh, and regulations regarding uh, officer training and that kind of stuff that's issued down from a state level. Okay. Um, and so from the state standpoint, I understand you got thousands and thousands of officers in a state that all have to be trained. And that's a, that is a big task. Um, and it's somewhere you have to draw a line of, you know, like where do we start hitting some diminishing returns? Okay. And I get that. Like it has to be a balance. Um, but uh, at the same time, I've seen, plenty of examples of officers that pretty much are hung out to dry um, because they're not given enough to be truly prepared and uh, mistakes are made. And, uh, and and in some of those cases, those officers are the ones that end up, like I said, they're, they're out, they're left out hanging to dry. um, And they maybe are even getting charged with something when they're probably doing the best they could do in that instance. And the fact is they were not really given all the tools they really needed to be successful. Um, and the state, as long as they can walk away, you know, brushing their hands off and maybe they pay a couple million in a settlement or something. And they're like, okay, cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on. Um, what, what's next on, on your list here, Jacob? The lowest common denominator. So th- here's the issue. A, a marketplace where gun owners are required to take a state mandated class and the, the curriculum of that class is designed by the state, that is a marketplace where the consumer's incentive is to find the cheapest class offered, regardless of the quality of the instructor or instruction. So if, yeah. if you have concerns, and every firearm instructor does, and most of the community should, if you have concerns about the, the quality of the cadre of instructors out there and whether or not the people teaching classes are really the best people to be out there teaching classes or whether or not, I mean, maybe it's not just an issue of them being good or not, but just them being qualified or practiced or experienced enough, then you need to understand that the, the government mandated training has produced that environment. Mm-hmm. It encourages an environment where you don't have awesome instructors because the, the consumer Think about, put yourself in the mind, go back to when you first were looking for your concealed carry class. Did you say, man, I'm going to read reviews. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to people who have taken class from different instructors and ask them, you know, what was covered and figure out which one was best. No way. Mm-hmm. You didn't do that. You're full of crap. And maybe you read some reviews that I, I might give it to you, but the vast majority don't even do that. What mm-hmm. happens? They go to Google, they type it in, they search, they look at cost. They go back to Google, they click on the next one, they look at that price. They go back to Google, click on the next one. They look at the third one. They say, okay, and now I have about a sense for what it costs. I'm going to go back to the one that was cheapest. And they look at dates and they say, oh, that one's convenient. I'm available. And they sign up. That's how it works. So that marketplace where there's no incentive to the, to the community or the instructor to put out quality product as far as the training itself that marketplace is created by government mandated training. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it is. When you create a marketplace for this type of state mandated training, then you 
get instructors that go into it because it's like, ooh, guns, ooh, something I can do on the weekends, and ooh, make some money on the side. Cool. And so people get into it. I mean, I mean, I know a lot of instructors, and I know some that I would not necessarily recommend that someone go to and for training. Um, not because they're bad people, not because they don't necessarily mean well, but just because there's no incentive for them as an instructor to elevate themselves because, Hey, I have everything I need as an instructor, i.e. NRA pistol instructor certification, which is usually the minimum that's required by most States to do any, any of this type of training. I have all I need to be a top notch instructor. I can go out on the weekends and make an extra couple hundred bucks teaching classes. Yep. That's not, a an environment that uh, encourages instruct you know instructors to become better themselves. So if we're really wanting gun owners, shooters, gun carriers to elevate themselves, we should have a culture and an environment where we expect the same of instructors. And when we have this arbitrary level or standard that a state's mandated, you set yourself up for that. And and we will we do see a purge. And when a state passes permitless carry, constitutional carry laws, you see a purge. You know, you have this massive number of firearm instructors that are out there teaching classes, and a large amount of them, their business will dry up. It will, and they'll they'll disappear. We'll see a huge purge. And the ones that are left are the ones who can still have a business and still figure it out uh, in that environment where training is not being mandated by the mandated by the government anymore. Those guys are probably the guys and gals you want to take classes from. So, so the purge is real and we have, I I guess the point is this is not theoretical. We see it. There's evidence that this is how it works. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Final thing, reason why we think the government should not be able to require you to do training, to carry a gun. And then I'll have a bonus. What's that? I'm going to have a bonus. Oh, cool. Cool. Bonuses are good. Is what about open carry? So, uh, the disconnect between, Public safety and concealed carry permits, as you say in your article here, couldn't be on display any more than in states that require training to carry concealed, but require no such license to carry a gun openly. And you kind of touched on that earlier, that it's really weird that we would say, well, if you're just carrying openly, a eh, big whoop, but now you throw a shirt over it. Ooh, that requires special training. Ooh, you got to go get a permit. Yeah. yeah apparently pulling Pretty up dumb. a shirt requires that I spend a few hundred bucks and eight hours of my day to figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before you give your bonus, by the way, I want to just give one example from a, a personal friend um, about the costs of concealed carry for some of you, depending on where you live. Some of you are in States where like some of you have posted in the comments like, Oh, Alabama is only X number of dollars every five years. Pennsylvania is only 20 or 25 or whatever. Like that's, that's pretty reasonable, I guess you could say. Again, still a tax. But recently, a friend of mine posted on, on on social media about his experience getting permits for him and his wife in the state of Maryland. And I know we had somebody here watching from Maryland. They commented earlier. And he listed out, because Maryland is one that's it's not a shall-issue state. And uh, they've got quite a few more hoops you got to jump through to get your permit. You have and to so, get HQL, and then you get the the wear uh, wear and carry. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, your handgun. 
license itself first. Mm-hmm. Which allows you to buy one. Yeah, exactly. And then you got to go through training, of course, and you can, you know, apply for the permit and all this stuff. And he was, I'm not going to give all the details, but I was, I was a bit surprised. Like I knew it was kind of bad, but I didn't realize it was that bad. And he basically listed out all the costs associated for him and his wife to get their permits. And it was over $2,000. That's before you buy a gun. I was like, (laughs) like, wow. Yeah, we have two different instructors who work under our our network in Maryland, one in Clear Springs, uh, kind of Fredericksville, another one in Baltimore. And that's, I mean, you have to take a class to get your handgun qualifier license to to be able to buy a gun. So take a class, go apply, get a license, then buy a gun, then go take another class, then apply to get the permit, which you may or may not even get, by the way. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's it's crazy. The whole thing is just, what? So it's all about context and understanding that, you know, you might look at your state and say, yeah, it doesn't seem as bad as these guys are making out to be, but it's all relative. It's all relative. Yep. yep, absolutely. Well, let's hear your bonus. The bonus is simply this, and this is kind of an overarching important concept to understand. We've gone through these six reasons, but what I want you to understand is that none of this is arbitrary. We aren't making this up, and we know because we have decades of data to prove it's true. Let me put it this way, and this is as clear as I can make it. There is no data out there whatsoever that suggests people in these constitutional permitless carry, no training required states are any more dangerous than people anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, You know, if if you, (laughs) how often do us gun rights people get angry at the gun grabbers because they're passing emotional legislation that won't have any impact on, on reducing violence and crime? All the time. We're like, take the emotion out of it. Stop re- knee-jerk reaction, reactioning to whatever thing. We got to look at the data and be analytical. Okay, well, then if you've listened to this whole episode and you still think training should be required, I am asking you to do the same thing we asked the gun grabbers to do. Remove the emotion from the situation. Your ancillary personal experience that you've seen somebody who you know picked up a gun and couldn't hit the broad side of a barn once upon a time and that scares you to death that they might want to run around with that gun i get it i do it scares me a little bit too if i'm being honest that some people might go just buy a gun and stuff in their pants but remove the emotion from it for just a second and look at the data look at the data we have decades now of, of years of states like Arizona, Vermont, uh, Alaska, who have been doing this for all this time. And, and there's nothing. There's just, there's nothing. There's, there's, there's no ancillary, arbitrary, or legitimate data that suggests that these people in these states are any more dangerous. They don't have a higher percentage of shootings. They don't have a higher percentage of negligent discharges. They don't have a higher percentage of uh, negligent homicides or manslaughter. Just, there's just nothing. It's just not the case. There's no data that supports that. So it, like, I'm, I'm just asking you to take a step back, remove your personal emotion from it, and just look at the, inf- look at the data. It's, it's very clear. It's working just fine. We've been doing it for a long time now. Yep. Yep. I remember getting into a discussion with a family member, an extended family member, uh, back when Idaho, cause I got a lot of family in Idaho. That's where I was born and grew up. Um, and uh, this family member back when Idaho was, uh, you know, when they had proposed the legislation for 
permitless carry there. Uh, this family member expressed some concerns about what this might mean for uh, particularly safety, people's safety, public safety. And, uh, you know, we had that discussion and covered a lot of these same points, uh, you know, then as, as what we've done here today um, with him. And, and that was one thing that I pointed to. I, I gave him several examples of constitutional carry states uh, well before Idaho that had been around for years doing it and said, you there's there's no evidence that you're having uh you know safety related you know an increase of safety related issues an increase of gun carriers shooting innocent people more than than is i guess average if you can say it that way you know that kind of thing and i was like there's no evidence um that suggests this and he kind of oh you know and, and did, he didn't want to really accept that but that, that's okay you know we had the discussion and of course that law got passed anyway in Idaho and now has been in place for several years. And, and I, I get the sense that he's warmed up a little bit more to like, cause he's, I think he's gotten to a point where he's, he's accepted that that is the case, that that is allowed and that the world's not falling apart. Yeah. Like guys, like 20, a little over 20% of the adults in Alabama have a concealed carry or uh, have a concealed carry permit. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. Like, okay. Let's look at Arizona. 7.3 million people in Arizona. This is not a small population state. 7.3 million people. They've been practicing permitless carry for over a decade. Yep. Indiana hasn't required training to obtain a permit for as long as I can remember, at least 15 years. And 14.5% of the adults in, popul- in, in, the, in the state of Indiana, a population of 6.5 million people, have obtained a permit with, with, without any training required. Yep. Look at Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's population is pretty significant. Last time I checked. No training required to get a permit. And we don't see anything from Arizona. We don't see anything from Indiana. We don't see anything from Pennsylvania, despite these being states with massive populations and no training required. There's no, there's yep. no data to suggest these people are less safe. Yep. They, they might be less prepared, but there's nothing to suggest that this is causing a problem. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of wrap this up, um, here's the deal. Here's the takeaway, at least as I see it. In the words of Mickey Shook, who we just spent some time with last week, and he had a T-shirt he was wearing, his carry trainer brand shirt, says, you are your own cavalry, which is a, a variation of a statement I've heard Dave Spaulding use a number of times. You are your own first responder. Guys, it is on each of us as individuals to be responsible in how and where we carry a gun and, and use those guns. Right. It's it's our responsibility to care enough to obtain the training that will help us be proficient and competent in the use of, the, of our firearms that we carry. You, It is on you like you should care enough about your own life and the lives of those that you care about to prepare yourself sufficiently. And again, I think in a future episode, we'll maybe talk, explore the idea of what that might be. What is a comp or who is a competent gun carrier or competent shooter? Again, I've got some thoughts on that, but that's, that's a discussion for another day, but that is that responsibility rests with you. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well said, Riley. Don't, don't, uh, don't cut, you know, or don't take shortcuts. 
Don't cut corners. Uh, it's a serious thing. It's a, it's a great responsibility. Rights come with responsibilities, if, especially if we want to keep those rights. All right. And so, yeah, let's, uh, let's go to and be better versions of ourselves uh, each and every day, like constantly striving for improvement. Again, today's episode sponsored by our new Guardian University as found at concealedcarry.com forward slash university, concealedcarry.com forward slash university, and also newly released today, brand new, uh, the Shooting Fundamentals online training course Um, that is also found at concealedcarry.com forward slash SF or Sierra Foxtrot. So, guys, thank you so much for another great time, another great episode. I hope you got uh, some value out of this discussion today. Jacob, any last words for you before we part ways? I'll just encourage you to share this episode with other gun owners. As I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, while the majority, I think more than half of our community, does uh, disagree with government-mandated training, which is apparent by the number of states who are passing these laws, despite that, there's definitely... A, a, a serious uh, group of our community who does feel training should be required. And so share this far and wide, make sure that this episode gets out there, and, you know, to all those gun owners and, you know, that they might listen to all this and still disagree with us and that's fine. But at least they, you know, we've, we've presented here, I think a pretty compelling case for why training maybe should not be mandated by the government. Amen. Well, with that, We'll let you go. We'll see you again next week from us here at the Concealed Carry Podcast. Don't forget, train train right, train often, train safe so that you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Thanks so much. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>